Hello and welcome to the Redrick Sport Podcast. We're back after a week's absence and we have a new guest this week. His name is Conrad Duncan. Say hello, Conrad. Hello, everyone. Who do you support? I support Liverpool, which is a good thing this week. Yeah. It isn't normally a good thing. I'm also joined by Nicola. Hi. Sam. Hi. Alex. Hello. And Harry. Hello. Brilliant. Right, let's start with a quick-fire FA Cup quiz. Um, my first question is, when were shirt numbers introduced on the back of shirts in the Cup final? 1919. Nope. 1962. Nope. Can you give us a clue, please? It's so, in between... 1919 and... 1919 and 1962. Which I was a small 19... 1942. That's closer. No, yeah, 1945 to celebrate the war ending. No. I like, <laughs> I like the thought. It was 1933. Oh, yeah. Here's Good one you'll know, though. When was the first fully televised FA Cup final? 1957. No, that's too late. If you think about when you've seen the earliest TV pictures, that will help you. Yeah, because you should have been born at this time. <laughs> 1938. Is it? Good shot. Oh. <laughs> One nice. point for Alex. That was just the Wizard of Oz production <laughs> time. I was that away to me. <laughs> You're definitely leading our quiz question, though. Um, right, final question. The first semi-final to go to a penalty shootout in the FA Cup was played where? Villa Park? Yeah. It was, and it was Liverpool versus Portsmouth. Wow. Very well played, everyone. What a great quiz. Right, let's talk about the North London derby, because it was the biggest game of the weekend and potentially didn't live up to the hype. But Vimmer scored a known goal. There's a question of Sanchez being offside, but I'll ask about that in a bit. Koscielny conceded a fairly soft penalty on Moussa Dembele, which came then put away, and it finished one all. And this was probably an annoying result for both teams. Um, does someone want to tell me their thoughts on this game? I'll go ahead. Um, well, obviously, I'm an Arsenal fan. I did enjoy the game. I never do enjoy the games, to be honest. Um, I think, to be honest, they're quite um, they're built up quite heavily. Um, I know, obviously, we've had the two five twos in the past five years, um, which obviously I was elated after the result. But watching the game itself gives me no joy whatsoever, uh, usually. It's usually the last few have either resulted in a, a very boring draw. Oh, yeah, I think they have all been draws. The last, I kind of think. Anyone else think? Well, isn't Pochettino? Spurs have had their brand lately. Last five games. Yeah, Pochettino's unbeaten his last five games against Arsenal. Yeah, but Pochettino, I mean, 37% of his games as manager, 34% of his games as manager have been draws. All right. Harry, you were talking before the podcast about whether derbies in general are overhyped. Yeah, so I think. A lot of time, the media overhypes derbies. I'm not saying Arsenal, the Arsenal Spurs was a good sort of um, case study of that. I'm thinking more of the Red Monday thing and, you know, City and United in general. Ever since City have become good, um, the games have been so overhyped. Um, it's just, it loses something from it. I don't know why, it's just... I think it's... Perhaps it's because City United, they have more fans, it's more, they have more touristy fans, and I think that always takes it away. Being a Villa fan, I'm always going to be more biased, but I think the Villa Blues derby last Sunday, it was a good example of a derby where it hasn't lost anything, it's still got the same viciousness and the same tenacity. When you watch it, you can actually feel it. Obviously, I was there, and like the atmosphere is, is tangible, literally, it's, it's crazy. And I, don't, I think... 
obviously it's only my opinion, but I think games like Liverpool United and City United now, it really loses something. It's lost something over the media overhype. All right, let's talk about the actual game then. Um, the first goal was a Vimeron goal, and there was a lot of debate about being offside and whether you're interfering with play, because Sanchez was offside, which a lot of people think prompted Vimmer to head the ball and then ended up in his own net. But had Sanchez not been there, he potentially wouldn't have done that. Can I have someone's thoughts on this? Probably shouldn't have stood. It looked like a sort of very, it was obviously a very defensive move. He was sort of trying to stop the ball from going past it. Um, which, yeah, you're right, it might not have happened had Sanchez and Koscielny been stood to the other side of him. It was Koscielny was onside, wasn't he? Yeah. Just, Eric Dyer was playing him just on. But I think also there is the whole element in all sports of play to the whistle. And if it's not being blown as offside already, then the players have to play what's there. And so while, yes, he might have been offside causing women to do that, if the whistle's not gone and the play's still carrying on, you can't play in a different way. You can't let that go through and think, oh, they'll bring it back, he was offside. You have to play and not risk them scoring a goal and it not being given. It's a strange one because I think in the laws of the game, Sanchez was not actually doing anything, but it's one of those ones where you look at it and you think that maybe the rules need a bit of tweaking. The second goal of the game came from a penalty, which Koscielny gave away after a pretty clumsy tackle on Dembele. Um, did we think it was a penalty? Yeah, just. Yeah. It was definitely a penalty. It was a soft penalty. Could have been. It could have. The referee could have waved it away. No, it, it was soft in the terms. It was a stupid tackle by Koscielny. Thing. It wasn't soft in terms of actually. I've being seen. Bad. I've seen things like that just waved completely yeah. away. By wrong reason. That's, wrong yeah, that's true. But like at the same time, when I saw that tackle, my first thought was that is a penalty. And that's yeah. fine. There wasn't. I don't know. I didn't really think there was much in it for it not being a penalty. Yeah. I, I think there was no grey areas with it. Uh, Harry Kane put the penalty away. Has become Tottenham's joint top scorer against Arsenal with Carrick Bale on five. Now he's back. Do Tottenham have that extra element to their game that they've been missing in his absence? They've had a quite a few draws. We've had six draws this season now. Um, do we think once he's back and fit and firing properly that they're going to be back challenging for the title? Yeah, and it's the things he does off the ball as well. It's not just him scoring goals. It's what he adds to the team. He, um, Spurs feel like a different team when he's playing with the work he does, tracking back and just his general presence. Yeah, and there's the effect that a player of that stature has on the opposition defence. You can't... With a lesser strike, you can maybe afford to let them out of your sight for a couple of seconds. But with Harry Kane, if you do that, you never know where he might end up or what he might do from that position. So just having him there causes opposition to think a bit more about where he might be. Spurs have been very defensive uh, lately, not very creative in goal. And that's proven by the fact that uh, the three goals scored in the last six games in all competitions were penalties. Yeah, so I think once you once you have that focal striker that Janssen hasn't quite been, they're going to be a bit more uh, have a bit more of a threat on the Arsenal side. They've been playing Sanchez up front all season, which has been working all right up till now. But there's a lot of times I've seen where it has really looked like they need Olivier Giroud, and he still hasn't started a Premier League game. I don't think. Do we think he should be starting, or do we think he has an impact off the bench? that is sufficient oh definitely super sub for me I mean just for me I watched the Sunderland game or I watched the last 20 minutes of the Sunderland game last week and he came off and scored two goals with his sort of first two touches of the ball because he's another one where he can get in behind players and he can manipulate the defence to find space and create goals and if you come on after 70 minutes with a defence that's sort of tired and running out of energy then that's even more effective because they're just one step slower and you can create a bit more space to get that goal 
So prior to the Arsenal um, Spurs game, I would have agreed that yeah, he's has more of an impact off the bench. And I was like, I was watching with Alex, and I was like, they should bring Giroud on. They'll bring Giroud on. They'll get the goal. And they brought them on, and it completely deadened the game. Perhaps it was something it's to do with, with Giroud. Yeah. It's because we played to his advantages of height and strength. This is what you, obviously you were saying. You've seen Sanchez, and you think Giroud's necessary. I've seen Giroud and think Sanchez is necessary. So it's like you sort of, and that is. Probably more infuriating. I think Giroud is a very infuriating player, regardless of how many goals he scores. He can be, because I mean, yeah, he scored average sort of 15, 16 for a Premier League season, but he sort of flatters to deceive for me quite often. He scores in less important games. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I don't mind him scoring two away at Sunderland, but um, I'd rather him score two at home to Man United. Spurs defence were able to cope with him quite easily. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a one dimensional player, really. If you can't cope with aerial threats, then you're going to have a hard time against them. Yeah. But apart from that, he's, he's got a good shot on him. His, his awareness is good, his link-up play is good, but he does fall flat for me quite often. The last time Spurs were on beat in the opening 11 games of the season was in 1960-61 when they won the title. So who knows what will happen. I want to talk about Chelsea-Everton because this is one of the most destructive games of football I've seen for quite a while. Um, it finished Chelsea 5, Everton 0. And before this game, Everton, I think I'm right in saying, had the second best defence in the league. But Chelsea just tore them apart. Hazard is back in form. Pedro, Costa, Moses, all looking really good under Conte. There's three at the back system. It looks like they finally found a system that they can get behind and push on for the title. Do we like this system? It's working for them at the moment, and it's doing wonders. But I wonder myself whether... Just as how, probably not as comparable, but how Leicester have come unstuck playing their style of football that sort of went under the radar last season. Um, I think people are wise up to it in the end. People wised up to Van Gaal's 3-5-2 at United extremely quickly. Um, it's not exactly the same formation as different players. Probably more applicable, applicable players for the role. Um, but I don't think it's going to be as plain sailing as people might think at the moment. No, I mean, you can already see it this season as well. You know, Arsenal, they when they put Sanchez up front and for the first few games, it worked very well and there was a lot of space with that formation and the players that were playing in it. And now teams have caught on and suddenly the space isn't there and the goals aren't flowing as easily as they were a month ago, six weeks ago. All right. Um, I mentioned Hazard. He, that was the first time that he scored two or more at home in the Premier League since February 2014. So he's had a rough time, um, but he looks like he's back this season. How good do we think Eden Hazard really is? As good as a player had a terrible season last season. So he's good. He's not world class. He, he I say he's world class. He can be world class. His performances merit world class appraisal, but you can't go missing for a whole season. Well, apart from obviously the last three games, you can't go missing for a whole season of football and be heralded as truly in that bracket of sort of 10-15 players who are truly world-class. Yeah, I mean, how good is a player that's not, you know, the world-class players are the ones that week in, week out, every game are lifting their team and doing something special or just motivating or scoring goals. And Hazard isn't, you know, he'll have brilliant performances where you think he's one of the best in the world and then the next week he'll disappear and you wonder where he is and why he's not scoring or why he's not attacking as well as he did just a week ago. For me, he's in the same sort of bracket as Iron Robin. And I'm going to clarify what I mean by this. 
He looks like he's making a career out of cutting onto his strong foot and shooting every single time he has the ball. <laughs> and I really would like to interview someone who has played professionally as a fullback because I want to know why no one ever thinks of just sending him down the line because every single time he had the ball in this game, he cut inside and... I just think that but, if, you, but didn't, if you... with his second goal, didn't he demonstrate that he can come on his left as well? So I think as a fullback, you've always got that doubt in your mind. So no matter how logical it is to think, just send him down the line, send him down the line, you're always thinking, oh, he can cut onto his left as well. But when he cut onto his left, it was to shoot, which is exactly yeah. what I'm trying to stop. Because I'm trying to send him down the line, so he crosses it, and then you trust your yeah. centre-backs to make that, that clearance. Having said that, I want to talk about Everton and their centre-backs because before this, they were incredibly well-drilled defensively. So what's happened to them? Did they not change their formation? Yeah, they went to three at the back. Three at the back as well, with Funes Mori on the left-hand side, who did have a, he had a good, well, as good as a team. What did they finish, 11th, 12th in the Premier League? And I think they had one of the worst defensive records. He looked OK, but I think, obviously, they've changed from that formation within a week spending a whole week perhaps in a formation that the other team is employing as well and employing much better than you is going to be a hard change to make. But it's not very, it's not in the style of a Ronald Koeman team. They usually limit the performance, they limit the game to a sort of standard of like three goals and that'll be like the sort of the most the opposition scores usually against the Ronald Koeman team. Um, but it obviously just all went wrong. Right, so Chelsea, do we think they're title challengers this season now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I feel like, we'll talk about Liverpool in a minute, but I feel like I still feel like City and Chelsea are the two teams that I would expect to be at the top at the end of the season. Arsenal and Tottenham look good, but they don't, look, they don't really look any better than last year, I don't think. They don't really show anything that I, I haven't seen last year. Well, Chelsea look a lot better. Man City isn't really clicking at the moment. It's kind of, it comes together and fits and starts, but I feel like they do have something. And they will be the teams I'll be most worried about if I support any club that was going to the top four. Um, we'll take a quick break. Uh, I went to speak to Nancy, our resident women's football expert, um, to round up everything that's happened this season in women's football. So we'll be back after that. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, right, I'm, am I right in thinking that Man City women went unbeaten all season? You are, yeah. So uh, they picked up the trophy last weekend. Um, they actually won it like a month ago um, against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea came second, so they've qualified for the Champions League for next season. Um, and Arsenal came third in WSL 1, so kind of a mixed season for them, even though they won the FA Cup. Um, it's a bit of a disappointing finish. Um Birmingham came fourth, which is pretty respectable, and Doncaster Bells have been relegated, um, and they finally got some points on the on the board. Um, they beat Reading um, at the weekend, one nil, um, which was their first win of the season. So saved the best till last there. Uh, Eni Luko has won the Golden Boot, um, which is pretty surprising. Didn't really see that one coming. She's obviously been scoring regularly, but it looked like it was um, going to go to Jane Ross of Man City all season. Um, and she's been left out of Mark Sampson's England squad for quite a while now, so that might be something for him to think about. Uh, and in WSL 2, um, it was a pretty tense finish. Um, Bristol and Yeovil both knew they were going up. It was just a case of who was going to be uh, crowned champion. Um, and 
if they both won, uh, they were tied on points, so they had to win. Um, and if they both won, Bristol City needed to win by seven or more. Um, and it was looking pretty good. They were up 4 0 at half time and eventually finished uh, 5 0. Uh, but Yeovil also won 3 0, so um, they won the title on goal difference. All right, brilliant. Thank you very much. Hello, we're back. Uh, now we're going to talk about Liverpool-Watford, which ended 6-1. Um, a lot of goals in this game, and it was a pretty incredible game to watch. Conrad, you're a Liverpool fan. I'm guessing you enjoyed this. I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't actually get the chance to see the game. Um, I watched the highlights afterwards. But when I saw the score, I was just absolutely blown away by it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the things we've done this before, we've done this in the Rogers. we would have games where we'd beat teams 6-1, and we'd look incredible. But... At the same time, this it felt a bit different in the sense that it felt like the team was playing together. It didn't feel like anyone particularly had a brilliant game. I mean, a lot of people had good games, but it didn't feel like anyone had a completely standout game. It just felt like the whole team was working together in a way that I wouldn't worry if Firmino or Contino or someone got injured. I would, I would expect maybe us to play less well, but I wouldn't worry about it in the way that I would have worried when Sturridge was constantly getting injured or when Suarez would, might get injured. Do you think you're better this season than you were when you had Luis Suarez? Um, it's early doors, but I, I think so. I mean, I don't want to tempt fate because that would never mean it will fall apart after Christmas. But with Suarez, it felt like he was carrying that team. And the team was being taken along on kind of like the, the side of his personality. But this time, it feels more like the team has actually learned a way to play football and everyone's pulling in the same direction, and it doesn't feel as fragile as the whole thing used to. On that point, I want to open this up to everyone. Um, Coutinho, Mane, and Firmino, and Lalana. any one of them look like scoring a hat-trick every game, um, which is a nightmare for picking them in your fantasy team. But I want to know who everyone thinks is the best out of those four players. It's got to be Coutinho, isn't it? He's, I think he's got five man-of-the-match performances this season, which is, incidentally the same amount of wins that Man United have had. Um, so I think that shows you how... Um, it just shows you how well he's been playing this season. Um, but he is prone to inconsistency as well. For me, as a follower of uh, Hoffenheim in Germany, it would have to be Firmino um, in his time at Hoffenheim. I think he did pretty well. But you can, I think you could choose any of them, really, and sort of justify why they were your personal favourite. I think, um, I wouldn't say Lana's the favourite, I think Coutinho is still the best. But I think you've got to give some credit to Lana because he was a joke two, three years ago. There was a period two or three years ago where if the ball came to Lana across the box, you would just give up all hope on the goal going in. You just know it wasn't going to go in. Um, and now he looks like a genuinely threatening attacking midfielder. And he's looked actually, he's looked good all season as well. It's not just been a few games, he's consistently looking good. And I'd be happy to pick him every week now. And I wouldn't have said that two years ago. I definitely wouldn't have said that. I would have said drop him two years ago. Yeah, I once described his shooting as the biggest contributor to landfills in the UK. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he has definitely improved. What about Mane? Because he's got 5-5 five and five at home in the Premier League this season. Do we like, do we like Sadio Mane? Yeah, he's, um, he's a very explosive player, but yet still has the sort of finesse and skill of, yeah, a very, very good attacker. I mean, at, at the same time, he's got more pace than any of the other players in Liverpool's starting eleven. Um, so that adds a sort of 
uh, adds the ability to sort of play the ball to him and expect him to sort of draw the game out, um, which obviously has helped them. Um, yeah, no, I do, I do, I really do like. I think he's starting. He's got a lot to live up to with the price tag, but I think he will eventually. If they, well, if they win the league, it'll be evidently worth the money. So, right. So you mentioned the league. Are they going to win the league? No. <laughs> I mean, well, what are we? Twelve games in now. Eleven. Eleven games in. No, you can't say who's going to win the league when there's two points between first and fourth, and there's five between first and fifth. It's like you know. Any of those teams currently, even teams, sort of, I don't think it'll happen, but even Man United are in with a shout of winning the league for me. That's a very diplomatic answer. Um, can someone tell me they think Liverpool's going to win the league? No, I can't tell you Not that. Even no, I All mean, right. the thing is because as we learn under Rodgers, you don't, you don't win leagues with bad defences, and the defence has got better, but it's not a title winning defence. Still got Lover in it. Yeah, I mean, Lovren's been all right. I think Lovren's yeah. been perfectly fine. But like, look at that mistake. There are still, yeah, there are still mistakes. There's enough mistakes in that to know that if we're playing a team that's not Watford, a team that can will keep us out. So if we play, say, Conte's Chelsea or we play Man City, I don't trust a defence to stay accident-free for uh, 90 minutes. And so that's that, where we're combat, I would say, why don't you just outscore them? Because you've got 8 of 12 points from Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea and... Man. I mean, that's what we are trying. We are definitely trying to outscore it. That's what Rodgers looked yeah. team. I think they became the first team not to win a league to score over 100 yeah. goals. So yeah. We were also, I think, like the first team in 20 years to not win the league from being top at Christmas. Yeah. So we broke a lot of records in the wrong way that year. <laughs> Well, the ratio of highest scoring team winning the league to best defensive team winning the league is pretty in your favour. Um, I want to move on to Swansea Man United because Man United managed to score three goals in a game, which is an achievement in itself. Um, a screamer from Pogba and then Zlatan Ibrahimovic broke his goal drought uh, twice. And I guess what I want to know is whether we expected this from a team who are creating so many chances or whether Man United are going to be a classic Mourinho team who don't score that many goals but can grind out results. Yeah, I mean, they're creating a hell of a lot of chances. Zlatan said in the post-match interview that for him, as long as he creates a chance and gets the chances, the goals are going to go in. And I, I agree with that. I mean, you look at how many expected goals, or how many goals people expect, um, there is like a sort of scientific method behind predicting goals. Not that I'm too familiar with it, but I've heard of it, I've read a little bit about it. Um, and obviously he's predicted to score somewhere between, probably somewhere between 15 and 20 league goals. So as long as he keeps creating those chances for himself, they're going to go in. All right. Uh, there's a lot of people on Twitter questioning Marino's starting lineup. Does anyone have any specific opinions on who should be starting and where for Man United? Um, I would say... Judging on what's happened this season, Michael Carrick has to start. Um, six games he started in, I believe, is six wins. Um, one matter as well, although out of favour under Mourinho at Chelsea. Um, looks back to the form he had in those first two years at Chelsea where he won the final of the season twice. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, I would disagree with possibly, he's been, obviously he's been playing, he didn't win this game, but he played, he's been playing Lingard and Rashford as the wide midfielders. And I think, no, well, Lingard probably is more of a wide midfielder, but he wasn't sort of um, brought up that way out of their academy. And Rashford certainly isn't. Rashford's a goal scorer, a striker. But I think the way, obviously, with that result, 
and they got the result, and this seems to work, so why not stick to that? Mourinho made some strange comments on players not being brave and shying away from playing, which presumably was in reference to Luke Shaw and Chris Smalling both deciding not to play in this game um, because of injuries. Do we think that Man United have a problem with players not quite wanting to play in this system or under Mourinho? Is he already starting to lose some of the players? I don't think. I hope so. Um, yeah, I would like to think that it's a very split camp at Man United. I think, to be honest, a lot of Mourinho teams, it's sort of my way or the highway. So, and I think he'll probably have a very sort of tight knit bunch of 15 players who he depends on for most of the season. And he sort of, he started to do it already. He started to isolate Mikatarian, who incidentally scored 23 goals and got 32 assists in all competitions last year in the Bundesliga, um, Dortmund's player of the season. He's isolating that kind of player. It shows you how sort of cut and dry he is, really. The thing that's interesting, though, about Mourinho is that he was, he's always been like that. He's always yeah. done that at teams. But when, after the season he had at Chelsea, it's kind of hard for him to come in now and say it's my way or the highway yeah. when we know that it doesn't always work. And there is that <laughs> doubt now with him that it's surely going to be... People will be quicker to turn on him at his own club. Yeah. And, I, and I thought when Mourinho came in, pretty naively, that maybe we would see a different Mourinho now at Man United, or maybe a more humbled one. But it just seems like the same thing. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to work for Man United. We're going to take another break because Nicola's going to round up the FA Cup for us. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Man City. Right, Nicola, it was the first round of the FA Cup this week, which often throws up some great results. Do you want to tell us all about it? So, 39 ties have happened. The 40th is happening tonight, which is Southport versus Fleetwood. Of those um, 39 ties, yeah, there were some surprises and a lot of non-league teams have managed to get replays um, to get them into the second round. So, in terms of Birmingham teams, um, some were luckier than others. So, Kidderminster uh, lost 2-0 to Blackpool. Coventry drew 1-1 away at Morecambe. Walsall lost to non-league Macclesfield, so that was a bad result for them. Um, Stourbridge were involved in quite the controversial match of the weekend. They earned their replay uh, with a 1-1 draw at Whitehawk, although Whitehawk scored as the final whistle was blown. Um, It was a 20-yard volley, but because the ball went in the back of the net after the whistle was blown, it did not count, and thus Stourbridge have earned a replay. The only and other example I can think of for that is that Don Hutchinson Merseyside Derby one. Where the ref was yeah. on it, yeah. Um, and then Solly Hull Moors uh, were 2 0 down at Yeovil and came back to draw 2 2, so they also have a replay. Um, in terms of surprise results, uh, Scunthorpe, who are League One leaders, lost 3 1 at fellow League One side Charlton. Um, they've been unbeaten in home games. This was away but it's still a surprise for the team who's at the top of League One. Um, there were some very high goal-scoring matches. I'm just going to run through those. So Oxford City scored five against Merson. Braintree scored seven against Eastbourne. Northampton Town scored six against Harrow. And then the other games which were more competitive, Dartford lost by three goals to six against Sutton United. MK Dons won 3-2 against non-league Spennymoor Town, who was their first time in the first round. And they Dons were 3-0 up, so for them to get two goals back was very big. 
and their Twitter feed was quite funny. And Carlisle United remain unbeaten this season. They scored five um, at St Albans, who managed to get three on the board, which is impressive. Um, so some facts. Sheffield United haven't exited round one of the FA Cup since 1981, and they continued that run at the weekend. Um, the lowest-ranked club left in the competition, Westfields FC, earned a replay. Um, and their Twitter feed is also quite funny. Basically, if you look at any non-league football club, their Twitter feed is gold. Yeah, I'd recommend get... going to read the Westfield one. Yeah, they get so excited, especially during the cup competitions, that it's just very funny. Um, so the replays for the non-league sides were Alfreton, Boreham Wood, Maidstone United, Taunton Town, Stourbridge, Eastleigh, Brackley, who um, drew 2-2 with Gillingham. Westfields FC, Curzon Ashton, Whitehawk, Dover, Solihull Moors, Dagenham and Redbridge, Halifax, Barrow. Um, in terms of cult hero status, Adebayo Akinfenwa scored the winner for Wickham against Portsmouth. And that's about it. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Nicola. Right, let's talk about Manchester City. It's weird having them this far down the running order um, because obviously Pep Guardiola and one of the best teams in the league, but they only managed a one-all draw at home to Middlesbrough this week. Um, it was another case of lots of possession, 25 attempts, but not quite the result they wanted. No clean sheet in nine of their 11 Premier League games this season. Um, can I get someone's thoughts on this game? I mean, I think immediately you have to start praising Middlesbrough. They've come away with two teams that have been touted all season since before the season began as title contenders, and they've held them to draws, which is very impressive for them. You have to start thinking, is it that those title contenders are underperforming, or is it that actually Middlesbrough are just playing well and keeping them out? I think Middlesbrough set up incredibly defensively in the first half. I mean, the Grado was isolated on his own up front. Um, second half, they started to give it more of a go. Obviously, Adama Traore looking very good again. Um, and the goal, I really liked the, the cross by George Friend. That was a striker's dream as a cross, although not headed in by a striker. Um, but yeah, they're doing well. I think these sort of results, sort of, they go well for them. They will go well for them over the course of the season. If you're holding out uh, City and Arsenal, then you're more likely to be able to hold out. So teams like what well, I'm not just going to say Watford, but they did lose to Watford. So maybe I should retract that statement. I want to give praise to Valdez as well. It was one of the many quality keeping displays. Um, he made a few decent saves, um, which is surprising because I've never really hailed Valdez as the most um, reliable keeper. Even when he was at Barca, he was it's strange because the mountain he's won. I think Middlesbrough was singing, chanting like. He's one more than you, he's one more than you, but Devalvis to the City fans. But even though he's got all this sort of um, history behind him, he's still not regarded as like a world class keeper, like, yeah. you know, Buffon. Yeah, but know. anyway, he had a good game, so. He also got him. a hole in his leg. Yeah, and he carried on, to see. which yeah. was fair play to him. Um, for me, it's starting to look a bit like Man City might not win the title this year. But as of next year, they will start winning everything. Does anyone else think that, or do we think that they might? 
manager this year as well. Uh, watching them away at West Brom last week, that was the best team performance I've seen ever. So, and it was more so the fact that they were obviously West Brom, very physical team, and City. I mean, they had Fernando right back, John Stones and Otamendi, not known for their reliability at centre back. You would have thought that could have been reduced to a very physical sort of sort of scrappy, slurry, scrappy game where West Brom might have snuck a draw in the last minute on the corner. Um, but City just blew them away. All their, their, their players were way too good. They just stuck to their own game, played it, just scored four goals and they got out of there. Yeah, and we're forgetting they beat Barca as well. Exactly, and midweek. They were unbelievable. That's a sign of pedigree, if anything, for me. All right, uh, you mentioned West Brom. They managed a 2-1 win away at the Champions Leicester. Uh, Bournemouth lost to Sunderland, so Sunderland actually won a game. West Ham managed to draw at home with Stoke. Burnley managed a really good win, 3-2 win over Crystal Palace. And Southampton lost in quite a shocking result, actually, 2-1 away at Hull. So those are the other Premier League results. Well, funny thing about the Burnley game, something only I would notice, but Matt Lowton conceded the penalty for Ben Teke to score for Palace. And I remember two years ago, um, Lowton winning a penalty in the last minute against West Brom for Ben Teckett to score and Villa to win 2 1. Just a little sort of obscure parallel oh. I enjoyed. Thank you, Harry. Um, <laughs> right, we're going to finish with Nicola telling us all about the lower leagues. Um, as already discussed, the FA Cup took place this weekend, so it was only championship games, but I'm going to round up the week before as well. Um, so, midweek last week, Coventry won 2 0 at Chesterfield. And then it was uh, West Midlands derby at the weekend with Walsall, and that was a 1-1 draw. Um, Coventry sit 18th in League One on 19 points, Walsall at 12th with 21. It's a very close league. If you lose a game, you drop four places. If you win a game, you go up four places. Um, Solihull lost. They didn't lose. They won at Braintree, 1-0. And they still mid-table, 15th, 22 points. And again, uh, National League is exactly the same. Um, another league stat, Billy Sharp, who was a hero a few years ago, has 23 goals in 38 league appearances, including five in the last three for Sheffield United, and he's basically their catalyst for going on a run and moving up and up and up. I think they're now, they're either still in second or third place. And Scunthorpe are uh, unbeaten in 20 home league games. They still, at the, still sit at the top of League One. Um, in terms of the championship... As Harry's mentioned, it was the Birmingham derby last weekend, and that was a 1-1 draw. Uh, Villa won 2-1 this weekend against Blackburn, and uh, Birmingham had another draw, but this time against Huddersfield. Um, Wolves lost against Derby, and then they drew against Blackburn. And as Harry's, Harry would like to know, uh, Bruce is the first Villa manager since Alex McLeish to go and beat him in his opening five league matches. Three wins as well. Kodja of five from five. He's going to catch up with Dwight Bale. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nicola. Um, that's the end of the show. I will leave you with a rather depressing thought that Wigan lost 3-0 at home to Reading at the weekend. Hope you enjoy your weeks.